0: So, I thought, um, when Jared first asked me, I thought um, he was trying to get some material on me so that he can roast me someday, <laughs> like, uh, we, like we roasted him. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm thankful to be in front of you today. And uh, so, our Advent series this year is uh, based on the idea of a gift exchange, now, this isn't like a white elephant gift exchange where you trade randomly and receive something that you didn't really want. Let's be honest. Um, this is specific where you exchange with God. However, it's not mutually benefiting as we really don't have anything to offer God. And apparently, it's similar to Lara and I. When I asked her if I had ever gifted her something bad... And she gave me something good. She said yes every single holiday. (laughs) While I don't quite agree with that statement, I think it does get to the heart of the series. See, God offers us an exchange that we could never match. We give him our sin in exchange for forgiveness. We give him our fears in exchange for peace. And we give him failure in exchange for grace. Well, today is about exchanging complacency for preparation. So, Christmas, it's about celebrating Jesus' first coming, but it also serves as a reminder that he will come again. So, today we're going to discuss three different ways that we are to prepare for this event we are to witness, we are to transform, and we are to hope. And why is this important? If you read in the Gospels, a lot of the people were not prepared for Jesus coming as Messiah because they did not prepare for what that would actually look like. They had a different idea, a different conception of what that would be. And so for us, we must properly prepare for His second coming or we too will miss out on His kingdom. So we all have uh, specific days or events coming up in our lives that some of us are preparing for, some of us might be a little complacent about. Um, for example, Christmas is 21 days away. I don't know if that's good or bad news for some of you. Um, something I'm looking forward to is Daylight Savings is 98 days away. Uh, the Allen's Fifth Child is 171 days away. <laughs> and from the sounds of it, They are not ready for that. Uh, Some of you may be looking forward to this. The presidential election is 702 days away. And Alan Yoakum being considered elderly is 1,769 days away. Little did we know, he's just still a young man. And just so you know, I googled it. Being considered elderly is when you turn 65. And then Jesus' return, we don't know. We don't know when Jesus will return. But that should not be an excuse for complacency, but rather a reason for preparation. So, there are different ideas on how this world or this current reality will end. They range from the sun burning out, impact from an asteroid... To volcanic explosion. Well, the Christian belief is that this world won't continue as it is for eternity, but instead of this coming through a negative event, it is based on the hope and expectation that Jesus will come again. He will return as a victorious king and all evil will be subdued. All will be raised from the dead to be judged, some to a resurrection of life and some to a resurrection of condemnation. And then all of creation will be made new, and God will dwell forever with his people, as heaven and earth are reunited. And if you really believe this, it should be reflected in our lives. Because our future expectations are largely shape what we do with our present lives. So think about what you do with your day, and ask yourself why. It's probably because there is a future expectation that you believe your daily actions will cause you to meet. Someone who I think is an excellent example of, of this, of someone taking their future expectations seriously, is Elon Musk. Now, he's been in, in the news a lot lately. He's an interesting character. His goal is for humanity to become multiplanetary, as he believes Earth will experience an extinction event unless we do so. And he has stated that all his business ventures that he gives his life to are to accumulate wealth to fund his vision of colonizing Mars. While his thoughts sound a bit science fiction-y to me, look at all that he has been able to accomplish because he takes this expectation seriously. And it makes me reflect to see if I'm living true to my hope and expectation that Jesus will return, or if I'm just caught up in complacency. So the first way we are to prepare for Jesus' second coming is to witness I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but I've reached the age where if Laura wants me to do something, I say, write it down, because I likely won't remember. Thankfully, Jesus' last message, message before he sends to heaven is written down for us to remember. It's Acts 1.8, and it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So his disciples are to be witnesses. In fact, after this event, when the disciples are looking to add somebody to take Judas's place among the twelve, uh, Peter says in Acts one twenty two, one of these must become a witness with us of Jesus' resurrection. Now that first generation would not have been able to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. This is a continual command for us to obey. Well, what does it mean to be a witness? Um, A witness is brought forward in a court of law to give a testimony. This can be an eyewitness or someone who has pertinent information about the case. So for the first generation of disciples, they were literal eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And they spent the rest of their lives testifying to this fact and its implications. While we are not eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus, Jesus certainly did not stop writing his story in the first century. Scripture says that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you have experienced the sort of resurrection yourself. See, we were dead in our sins, but have been made alive through Christ. And Jesus is still healing, bringing reconciliation, casting evil out, and bringing his kingdom into the world. And all this is the story or testimony that we are to witness to, that Jesus is alive. And so, the resurrection of Jesus should impact every area of our lives. How we spend money, how we treat people, what we are willing to sacrifice, and what we give our lives to make up our witness. Not to mention intentionally telling others about the resurrected Christ with our words. But I think even as followers can become somewhat paralyzed. It's not an easy command he has given us doing so will definitely get us out of our comfort zones. For some, this means sacrificing your pride, your relationships, your job, or your life. And honestly, sometimes it's just easier to look up into the sky and wait for Jesus to return. But though easier, there's a truth for us found in Acts one 10 through 10-11. So Jesus has just given his disciples the command to go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And it says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I can't help but read this and think that there is some humor here. So put yourself in this situation. You're just talking with Jesus. And he starts levitating into the sky until he disappears. And then an angel asks, Why are you standing there with your mouth wide open looking into the sky? And I thought, in my best Ryan Lucas voice, I would say, Well, it's not every day you see this sort of thing. We don't know how long the disciples were standing there, but this is the truth. That rest assured, Jesus will come again. But until then, go and tell the story. It's interesting that Jesus' life on earth is bookended by angels with a message. In Luke two, an angel appears to the shepherds on Christmas Eve with a message of "Come and see." In Acts one, angels appear, or in yeah, in Acts one, angels appear with a message of "Go and tell." This is to be the experience of every Christian. First, we must meet Jesus and become utterly changed by who he is and what he has done. And then we are sent out to tell others about him. So when I was younger and my parents left us kids home alone while they were out, they would usually give us a list of tasks to accomplish. Any parents still do that today? Uh, Us kids would say, okay, and continue on with our video games or whatever it was we were doing. And then about ten minutes before they were supposed to be home, we would remember we had things to do, and we would get them finished right as we heard the garage door opening. We can't live our lives doing what we want, and then expect to be faithful to what Jesus has called us to do right at the end. So let us go and be witnesses with our words and our lives, that our resurrected King lives and will come again. So the second way we are to prepare for Jesus' second coming is to be transformed. Don't know if you've caught on to this, but uh, my household has never been known for being early arrivers to events. Um, But now with a baby in the house, it would probably be wise for us to move our clocks ahead 20 minutes. We could certainly arrive earlier, but we would look like we just woke up. That's because there is a certain social expe- expectation to get ready when you go out into public. In the same way, there is an expectation that we will be preparing ourselves for Jesus' return by becoming more like Him. In 1 John 3, 2-3, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So scripture says that if we have the hope of Jesus' return and that we will be like him when this happens, then we are to currently be purifying ourselves. Well, what does this mean? I think this passage is telling us who are in Christ to live according to who God says we are. So I'm going to throw some theological concepts at you that may be A little out there, but hold tight. I think you'll like them. So in Adam, humanity was plunged into sin and death. But scripture says that Jesus is a second Adam figure. And where do we see this pointed out? In the Gospel of John, where is Jesus resurrected and what is he mistaken as? It says the tomb was in a garden and that he's mistaken as a gardener. Well, where do we find Adam and what was he to do? Adam is found in a garden and is to tend to the garden. So Jesus is pictured as a new Adam and the figurehead of a new humanity. A humanity that is now free from sin, victorious over death, and restored to God. And when we are baptized, it is a symbol of our old humanity dying and being raised new in Christ. It's a testament about this new humanity that we are now. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is an interesting verse because creation being made new wasn't supposed to happen until Jesus' return at the resurrection. But with Jesus' resurrection, new creation has already broken into our current world. And what is going to happen to all of creation in the future, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, is already happening spiritually now to those who follow Jesus, that we are being made new. This is why some theologians have said that Christians are people from the future. We are part of a world, a world of new new creation, that has not come, but one that will be. Therefore, we are to refrain from the sin that characterizes this world and live like the people that we will be in the new world people who are like Jesus. So when God sees those who are in Christ, He doesn't see us with our sins and mistakes hanging from our necks. He sees us as His beloved sons and daughters. And yes, we're not sinless and not pure like Jesus, but someday we will be. And we are to be progressing towards that now. So when you get married, usually you go to the courthouse a few days before the wedding and you uh, purchase a marriage license. The marriage hasn't happened yet, but everything, by law, is prepared for that to occur. And over the next few days, you'll get a haircut, finalize what you're going to wear, and whatever else goes into the process of preparing for the ceremony. The Bible also talks about a wedding ceremony between Jesus and His bride, the church, when He returns. The marriage license has been purchased, and we are to be getting ready. So no more dating apps or whatever causes us to have a divided heart, but rather, it's time to remove the sin from our lives, purify ourselves, and prepare for His return. The third way we are to prepare for Jesus' second coming is to hope. So hope is essential to humanity. We naturally look for it. And to think about a long day at work, and we hope for a nice paycheck. A tough sports practice, and we hope that it made us better. Another week of school, and we hope someday that it will end. (laughs) A concentration camp survivor named Viktor Frankl, he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. In it, he describes his time as a prisoner. And he details that between the week of Christmas 1944 and New Year's Day, the Camp Sick Ward experienced a large increase in death beyond all previous experience. It was not because of a food shortage or worse living conditions, but it was because that many prisoners had hoped that they would be home in time for Christmas. When that hope was not meant, they lost their desire to live. So hope and having hope in the right thing is essential. Eager to do what is good. So this passage states that the ultimate hope for the Christian is the return of Jesus. Because what we place our hope in will directly affect how we live. Finding hope in the wrong thing, it can cause sin and lead us astray. So finding hope in politics causes you to hate your enemy. Finding hope in wealth leads to greed. Finding hope in popularity makes you a slave to people. Finding hope in your own self-righteousness makes you judgmental and divisive. But finding hope in the return of Jesus, it allows us not to take revenge into our own hands, for Jesus will be the judge of all. We can sacrifice our things and even our lives, for Jesus will give us much more in the age to come. We can endure suffering because it won't compare... (laughs) with the glory that will will be revealed in us. And we can go through despair and darkness because it won't last forever. This is easy to talk about, but it's a lot harder to put into practice. See, we will go through times in our lives where our hope will waver. I can remember a time when I was a kid and we went to uh, Walmart in St. Joe and I had fallen asleep on the way. And so, I asked to stay in the car so I could keep sleeping, sleeping, and I just really didn't want to go into Walmart. Uh, it was around this time of year where it gets dark really quick and really early. And when I had fallen asleep, it was still day out, but when I woke up, it was getting dark, and I had no idea how much time had passed. I became scared, and I thought that my parents had left me. I remember crying really, really hard and feeling all alone. Because I had lost hope. Eventually, my parents did come back. And they wondered why I was crying so hard. (laughs) But there will be times like this in our lives where we lose hope. And that's okay. But in times like this, it's important to remember that our hope is not dependent on our circumstances. Our hope is not some wishy-washy idea of the future No, as assuredly as Jesus came once, He will come again. He has promised us that He will do so. So I'd like to quote a uh, Christian rapper named KB. He has this song called I Believe. And uh, it's it's a song about the victory that we can have in Christ now and when He returns. And I I wasn't asked to rap today, so I'm just going to state the lyrics as they are. It says... Wait on it. Tomorrow we live. He's making all things new. Tell the paraplegic that he's going to dance. Tell breast cancer that she won't win. Tell racism that he's going to end. What he doesn't heal now, he's going to then. Let's go. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. God does not give us all the answers that we want or work according to our time schedule. There are some things that are mind-boggling to explain why they happen. But as equally mind-boggling is the story of Christmas. Why would an all-powerful God willingly subject himself into flesh and bone to become like us in every way and then die a torturous death on our behalf? It's because God is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... Whoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So sometimes our lives will look like a cross, but remember, there is an empty grave. The God-man Jesus loves us, and nothing can, can ever separate us from that. So let's place our hope in the return of our King, who will bring us the ultimate victory over sin and death forever. So in conclusion, as you prepare your homes and gifts for Christmas this year, let it be a reminder that there is another event that we are to be be preparing for, and that is the return of Jesus. So if you have been complacent, now is the time to prepare. And let us do so by living lives that bear witness to the fact that Jesus is alive and reigning as Lord and Savior. Let's be experiencing transformation so that we can become more like Him. And let's be placed in our ultimate hope in His return when all things will be made right. Amen. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll finish with our last song of the day. Heavenly Father, we thank You. uh, We thank You that You sent Christ at Christmas. And as we... Just really focus in on his on his coming and what that means for us, Lord, that he brought light into the darkness, Lord. Let it be a reminder that he's not done, that he's still spreading light, and that he will come again to finish the work that he has started. And so, Lord, as we prepare for his second coming, I pray, Lord, that it would cause us to be witnesses of the resurrect, resurrected Christ, that he's alive and reigning today. Lord, I pray that we'd live lives of transformation, that we'd become more like him. Because someday we will be completely like Him, without sin and completely purified. And finally, Lord, let us let us place our hope in that event when all things are made right. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.